1: Bring
0: in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. China's auto dominance. The world's second largest economy is driving new cars and new electric vehicles into markets all over the world, while the US looks at restricting Chinese technology. Council on Foreign Relations head Michael Froman.
2: All right, there's a trade-off here. Do we want a US EV industry? And what costs are we willing to pay for We have one. It's called Tesla.
0: Anti-Semitism's rise in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war. The Anti-Defamation League's Jonathan Greenblatt on the scale of the problem.
3: The lack of leadership at these college campuses is a catastrophe.
0: Plus, once more narrowly averting a government shutdown. The latest reporting from Emily Wilkins in DC.
4: Seems like the fourth time is maybe not quite yet the charm.
0: Oprah parting ways with Weight Watchers, the SEC looking into OpenAI's texts and what we all got wrong about Wendy's dynamic pricing.
5: And you can get the burger, the chicken nuggets for 99 cents or something. You might actually say, "Okay, I'll go do that.
0: It's Thursday, February 29th. Happy Leap Day. Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please.
6: Good morning everybody and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin and uh, here we go. Let's take a look at the US equity future.
1: We have been working in good faith around the clock every single day
5: for months and, and weeks, and over the last several days, we believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown, and that's our first responsibility. Meantime, congressional leaders have reached a partial budget deal to temporarily avert a government shutdown. We've been having these government shutdowns and temporary versions for quite some time now. Emily Wilkins in Washington, D.C. this morning joins us with the latest. Good morning
4: good morning andrew yeah it seems like the fourth time is maybe not quite yet the charm the house plans to vote today on a temporary funding measure that will likely prevent a government shutdown from happening at midnight on saturday the stopgap measure was agreed to by congressional leaders yesterday to buy them more time to negotiate a spending deal for the rest of the fiscal year so toward the end of september now both chambers are racing to pass the bill by the end of friday night Congress would have until March 8th to pass half of the bills needed to fully fund the government for the duration of the fiscal year under this new plan. And that would include the Departments of Energy, Commerce, Justice, and others. The rest of government funding, now that includes the Defense Department and financial regulators, would need to be completed by March 22nd. So those are your two new deadlines, March 8th, March 22nd. Lawmakers working to appropriate funding said they're confident that this first group of bills can be done in time for next week. But they acknowledge that it's the second group that's going to be more difficult to do. Republicans are continuing to push for at least some of their conservative priorities to be included in the bills. Although it's not clear what, if any, can get the bipartisan support needed to pass. And of course, extending these funding deadlines, it does delay other key legislation that Congress is working on. This includes, of course, funding for Ukraine and Israel, as well as that tax package that would offer benefits to companies and parents that you saw the House pass several weeks ago. And you're still waiting for the Senate to see exactly what they do with it. Andrew,
5: thank you for that. Uh, Meantime, we should tell you that Speaker Johnson now promising there wouldn't be another stopgap. But so what kind of blowback is he facing from inside his own conference at this point in the ballgame?
4: Well, Andrew, members aren't exactly happy about this, especially those hardline conservatives um, that gave Kevin McCarthy so much trouble. At the same point, from just the members who I spoke with last night, talked with Bob Good, the head of the Freedom Caucus, uh, and he said, look, you know, members aren't happy. We don't want to have another stopgap spending. There's some discussion about whether we're going to see more Republicans oppose this stopgap than the last stopgap. Uh, But at the same point, it doesn't seem like there's any appetite at this point to try and oust Speaker Johnson. Um, I think there is kind of a a sense that that's just not something Republicans want to do right now. They don't see it as as being productive in an election year. Um, And while they're not happy about the course that things are taking, the way that Johnson is going to be moving this bill through the House, there's really not much that these hardliners can do to block it.
5: Emily Wilkins, thank you for walking us through uh, where things stand as uh, we speak. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about this perhaps again with you tomorrow morning. Thanks.
6: Shares of WW International, that's the company that was formerly known as Weight Watchers. They've been tumbling by 23% in extended trading. This came after Oprah Winfrey said late yesterday that she plans to leave the board and that she's donating her stake in the company to the National Museum of African American History and Culture. That company's been struggling to stay relevant in the Ozempic era. Winfrey recently disclosed that she was taking the popular weight loss drug as a maintenance tool. <laughs> Been amazing, kind yep. of watching how she has kept this weight off. Um, last year, the company acquired telemedicine startup. Uh, to help give members access to the weight loss drugs for the first, fourth quarter, WW reported subscriber numbers at the light end of the guide range, and full year revenue guidance also came in lower than expected. And we should note that the market cap has now fallen to two hundred and thirty two million dollars, so God. it's not even a company that we would normally cover. But
5: when you're when you're when you're board member and your effective spokesman, if you will, I don't th- I don't know if she would say yeah, she was a spokesman is now taking effectively the totally, and it just totally the entire business yeah, and totally sh- irrelevant and long
7: it. before she left it was totally that's why it's at two dollars well, it was
5: right it was a complicated it was right I'm not saying that the business wasn't complicated beforehand but now it is officially
7: complicated, complicated. it's I'm over because being, being of Ozempic.
6: remember people thought it was Irrelevant, and then she joined it.
7: Right, right. But that, was that was, but the, was before. That was the world has yeah. changed, the the, the, and the now we talk the about it. Fully every changed fully, and just like Salesforce down five bucks is only one percent. This is eighty-nine cents, and it's twenty-three percent. So uh, yeah, that's a, been a long, sickening uh, hmm. decline, but. I'd still rather, what do they do? They sell some low-calorie, like, food and stuff? I, instead of sticking a needle no, in stomach. No, they, they're selling you on,
5: you know, one, two, three. You know, they, give, they have all what these rules the about you don't your. You to stick needles in your stomach, do you? No, but it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to follow. Now that I think about it, I probably, I probably wouldn't even feel it. It's so fat. Um, <laughs> let's talk about some news overnight that's um, right? raising a lot of eyebrows. What was that? Uh, this morning on Wall Street, Joe, <laughs> I know, I, I know your I, stomach is, but the did, SEC. Did I feel to, something? The SEC looking into internal communications by OpenAI CEO Sam Altman. Uh, a lot of folks in, in, uh, in the Valley looking at this. and. Try to question what's really happening here. Part of investigation into whether the company's investors were misled. Sources telling the Wall Street Journal the probe was a predictable response after the company's board said in November that Altman hadn't been consistently candid in his communications. That board used that as part of the rationale, if you remember, for firing Altman, who then returned less than two weeks later under an overhaul board. The report notes that the SEC often closes investigations without making formal accusations of wrongdoing. So uh, unclear where this is all gonna go. Maybe this is all uh, perfunctory, but we will, uh, we, we may learn more. There's also an internal investigation, uh, which OpenAI's uh, law firm is doing. I don't know what we're gonna learn from that. My guess uh, is when this it, when is we the hear first this.
6: of several Washington entreaties into it, because we've heard Ro Khanna and others say that they would like to see And hear more about About
7: what what happened. happened. Right. What actually happened. Um, So, you're back. I am. Good to have. So I can ask you. So, needles. Would you prefer forehead, lips, or stomach? I could never be a drug addict. I I could never be a really good drug addict unless it was.
6: I've given myself shots in the stomach. You have. I have.
7: That's not that bad.
6: No. Really? But I, I mean, my face. I don't. I don't think I could.
7: People get them in the forehead all the time, and lips. I'm just wondering what, if you had to choose, so you would choose stomach. Yeah. So Ozempic's not. I can't believe you give it to yourself. It just comes pre-ready to go, and you just Mm. like Pulp Fiction. It's got a.
6: Well, I don't. I don't. I haven't done Ozempic or anything, but I don't don't know how long those. We're not
7: saying you did. You naturally look like this. You don't need.
6: (laughs) No, this is the result of not eating for three days.
7: You weren't eating for three days. (laughs) Tell Andrew. (laughs) <laughs> she hasn't been eating for three days now a follow up uh, to a story we told you about earlier this week Wendy's is clarifying plans for dynamic so-called dynamic pricing after facing backlash online and accusations of pr- price gouging from politicians Wendy's posted a statement on its website saying that its dynamic pricing plan has been misconstrued it says it doesn't Plan to raise prices at the busiest times, and instead would use its new digital menu boards to change menu offerings during the day and offer right. discounts. <laughs> oh, no, so I said this particularly slower time. Oh, I said this the, that's the other day it, that's on, not so bad.
5: on I think uh, Morning Joe on another network mm. that the only that if if at a busy time it doesn't work, but actually at a slow time it could work. So if you were driving past a Wendy's. And there's a digital board up, and it's, I don't know, Sail. 10.30, 11 in the morning is a slow time, and, or Sail, 3 yeah. in the afternoon or something, and somehow there's a, a sale on, and you can get, I don't know, the burger the chicken nuggets for 99 cents or something. You might actually say, yes. okay, I'll go do that.
7: That's totally different, and that That's is That's totally idea. different. Yeah, good but idea.
5: if it's at lunchtime or at dinner yeah, time and they're, raising prices, and they're raising prices, and then you see that McDonald's is across the street because
7: most well, of these places fall, have five of these hurt. things
5: lined up next to each other, you're going to go to the other then one. we
7: got it wrong. We got the story wrong by saying they were going to do it at busy times and raise prices. If the prices are staying where they are or lower, that's totally different than where they I, are I don't disagree.
6: But over time.
7: They didn't explain that. You though, have to, but yeah, yes.
6: but Over time, the question becomes. Do, do you, you raise it up do you and then raise go it? Down and to, like, do, do your base level prices go up so that you can then offer the discount yeah. at other times? I do you mean, eat you it, when Over time. Sometimes the one if thing I will say is, is it's, it's a Get competitive industry. It's a competitive yeah. industry. So. Super competitive
5: because they're all next yeah. to each other. Right, like yeah. every street and has. Anybody a, who doesn't if there's have a Wendy's, there's a
7: KFC yeah. and a McDonald's yeah. within. Yeah, talk within about, if it's a decent street, distance, it's a decent street, it, it does.
0: Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Chinese cars, connected cars, and the possibility your data could be compromised when you drive around what's basically a smartphone on wheels. Our automotive correspondent Phil Lebeau is in Santiago, Chile, for a look at a country that has embraced the rise of China's car manufacturing. And Michael Froman, president of the Council on Foreign Relations, on the risks Americans still see from China's car market.
2: They're trying to get ahead of it this time and say this is a key sector for our economy. We don't want to find ourselves in the same situation we were in other sectors where we saw the overcapacity being built
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod.
1: Stand by, Joe. Here's Mike.
0: Here.
7: Good morning, and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and uh, not a pretty picture. Now that is that's a that's a beautiful that's a beautiful picture. <laughs>
6: now you just sound like you are spoiled. You
7: know, I want it a to go up every damn back. day, every damn every day. I want it up. I like uh, let the good times roll.
6: Chinese brand vehicles are seeing stronger demand around the world. Our Philip has more on China's auto revolution from one country buying in Chile.
1: Buenos dias, Becky, here in Santiago, Chile, where Chinese autos are not hard to find. In fact, this is one of the primary markets separate from the major markets where you have seen a boom in the sales of Chinese built vehicles that have been exported and sold in this country. How many vehicles are exported from China? They are now number one in the world. A 62% increase in auto exports last year. And let's be clear here. The vast majority of the vehicles being exported are gasoline powered internal combustion engine vehicles. Just 29% are electric vehicles. So we wanted to find out what's the appeal? Are people embracing Chinese vehicles? Clearly they are because sales are going so strong. We went to an auto mall, literally a mall that has all of the major automakers, including automakers from the United States like Ford, like General Motors. And we asked people, look, what's making this so attractive to you that you want to buy an auto here in Chile that was built in China? And one of the dealers told us something very interesting. He said, there is an ability for the people here to get past the idea of a car being built in China. That hesitancy has faded away. So what are the primary markets where the Chinese are exporting their vehicles? First is Russia. Once the Europeans pulled out following the war in Ukraine, then China stepped in, supplying the vast majority of the new vehicles that are sold in Russia. But Mexico is a close number two. In fact, in Mexico, Chinese-built vehicles are now 10% of the market. And when you talk with the experts, they all say the same thing. It's only a matter of time until they actually build in Mexico and start exporting to the united states guys the bottom line is this what we're seeing here in chile we're seeing in other countries in australia in israel you go around the world if there is not a manufacturer in that country and even if there is a manufacturer in that country the wave of exported vehicles from china quickly resonates with buyers in part because of the cost and the better they're better made now they're more reliable than they used to be and that's the reason why they are so successful in countries like chile
6: so for the u.s automakers can they compete or will they look to washington for for higher tariffs and try to make sure they're going to look to washington
1: there's already a 25 percent tariff for anything that is built in china a vehicle and then exported to the united states regardless of who it is whether it's a chinese automaker or general motors or tesla that's why tesla builds in China, but exports to other markets. They don't export from China into the United States anymore. They did initially, but not. they don't do that right now. And so what you're seeing, Becky, is that for the U.S. automakers, they will increasingly turn to Washington and say, look, if you don't do something in terms of trade policy, when the, Mexi- uh, when the Chinese automakers are building in Mexico, which is the plan within the next five, six, seven years, then something is going to happen to the U.S. market where the Chinese come in. They will undercut on price and they will start gaining market share. That's what that's the concern for U.S. automakers.
6: Phil, thank you.
5: And new this morning, the Commerce Department will be investigating national security risks from connected autos that have parts from China and other countries of concern. The department now worried about the personal data risk if your phone connects to your car, as well as the risk that the vehicle could be remotely disabled by bad actors. The department wants to take the action now before Chinese manufactured vehicles become widespread in the U.S. Joining us right now to talk about this and so much more, former U.S. Trade Representative Michael Froman. He's now counsel on foreign relations president. It's great to have him at the table. Great to be here. You know, I take my phone and I plug it into the car. And now, by the way, you don't even need yeah, to plug need it to, into yeah. the car half no. the time. But if you want the, if you want the power, which my battery always low, I need to. By the way, you do this all the time in so many places. How worried, are, do you, by the way, that's actually maybe the better way to start, do you plug I in your phone? Same. I you do the same. You
2: do? I do the same. Okay. Look, I think what it underscores is just how one connected we are and how vulnerable we are to potential cyber attacks from China or from elsewhere, from just bad actors anywhere um, in our daily life. But
5: do you think we're particularly vulnerable to China? I mean, I think that actually is the fundamental question with all, you know, every day we have a different headline about China's security risk, China's security risk, China, you know, or it's TikTok or it's this or it's that. Are the risks coming from China
2: severely more dangerous than anywhere else? You know, I think this week we've seen a couple things. One is a new executive order sort of re- regulating the sale of data by yep. data brokers, including to China and five other countries. And then we've seen movement on the Hill. With a bill to put hundred percent tariffs on imports from imports of cars from China. So I think there's a particular focus on China. I'm not sure the cyber security risk is specifically focused on China or should be specifically a focus on China. There are plenty of bad actors out there engaging in cybersecurity intrusions. Uh but there is concern that China is building up significant overcapacity in the auto sector, particularly the electric vehicle sector. And unlike steel and aluminum and solar panels, there's an effort to get ahead of it this time and try and figure out what do we do to make sure they're not dumping those cars on our markets. How much of this is is a security
6: concern and how much of this is an economic concern? Uh, Well, right now we we have very
2: little little imports from China of, of autos, about $2 billion a year, and mostly, by the way, from GM and Ford from U.S. automakers who produce in China it's not the the big Chinese but we just heard from
6: Phil our last report was about how they are building they're going to be building in Mexico if you've got NAFTA and stuff comes across the border.
2: Huge capacity. And, and I think that's what people are focused on. They're, again, trying to get ahead of it this time and say, this is right. a key sector for our economy. We don't want to find ourselves in the same situation we were in other sectors where we saw the overcapacity being built. The Chinese have to do something with all that overcapacity. But here's
5: the other conundrum. I don't know if, if you've seen some of the comments that Elon Musk has made over the past couple of weeks. He would tell you that the BYD vehicles are better than the vehicles that are being manufactured by just about every other U.S. Every other every U.S. manufacturer, except in his mind, Tesla. Tesla. Now, you could say that that is a you, you may think he has motivations to say that for different reasons. But for what it, I, I, I don't disbelieve him. And there are a lot of people who've driven in the latest BYD vehicles who say this is pretty amazing.
2: There are several Chinese EV companies producing several kinds of of electric vehicles that are very good. And so I think it's it's putting a challenge on our industry to continue to innovate and continue to uh, try and come up with new models that people want. And this, these sorts of actions are about giving them the space to do that. Now we can say, is that the best thing for consumers? But here again, I think the, the paradigm has shifted, where it's not all about consumers anymore. It's not all about efficiency, getting okay, the cheapest product to consumers or the cheapest best product into the hands of consumers. There's a, an effort to say, well, we want redundancy, we want resilience, we want security, we want to have our own industry in key sectors, even if it means imposing a cost on consumers. You're describing a really bad scenario for me. It, so. Not only do the big
7: three got to compete against Tesla's EVs. Now even China has great EVs. Yep. We just signed uh, these labor agreements that make it very difficult to foresee how the big three can be competitive already with Tesla, non-union. Looks to me like the only way
2: it's going to happen is, is the government's going to have to support the big three somehow, again. Yep. Look, I, I I would underestimate the capacity of the big three to continue to innovate. I think GM and others have, have been what, trying. To what innovate. evidence? <laughs> Where have no, we seen I, I, them innovate I, I in the they, last think, ten years? I think in may, EVs. I think I think a number of them. The have been bolt? To move you can't low. park
7: near your, the front of your. Was it the Volt or the Bolt that, that you can't park near your house? If you have a wooden house. You can't park it near there because your house is going to go up.
2: Yeah like this is a new sector there's going to be a lot of change a lot of new infrastructure being built and i think the big 3 are trying very hard to place Who wants a big 3 that. EV? No they haven't found a person yet. Well, it, I, I don't think that's true Joe, but i think uh i think what they're what they're trying to do is create the space for it. Now, i think it comes at a cost and i think politicians need to say, all right, there's a trade-off here. Do we want a US EV industry and what cost are we willing to pay for it?" Well, we have one? It's called Tesla. That's that's what. Do we want more than that, and do we want a
7: competitive <laughs> well, industry? If, if, if you build it, they will come. That they haven't built it yet. Yeah.
5: Well, but the question is, if we let these cars in, maybe they would. And that's the flip side. You think the competition the pressure would make of the competition. them better? You mean? I could argue to you that why one of the reasons EV enough... take up has not been as high is because the actual cars themselves are not good enough. All
7: right, it's I agree. But you've already got Tesla as a as a model of what you'd like to be, and they're nowhere near
2: that. And so we're happy would, to have a monopoly. Huh? you're happy to have a monopoly.
7: I'm not saying I'm happy, but if you know if it's a monopoly based on how good your product is. I mean, we've seen that in big tech too. Do you close down a big tech company just cuz they're so good at what they do? Yeah. That's Peter Thiel's got a book out called that.
2: Winter a a real mon- huh? winner takes all. No, I forget what it's called. Um, uh, but that's the theory. But it's about that's, that is the if you're
7: really that good, you, you have a natural monopoly, but it's yeah. not illegal. Yeah,
6: yeah but it, it, it also. Zeppelin Akan
7: would call it you illegal. also forget the everything. fact that
6: all of these things, all of this industry is put subsidized. together by subsidized by <laughs> right. the U.S. Yeah, government. But, yeah,
7: but at least people right. come out to my neighborhood. Every car is a Tesla. Everyone. Mm-hmm.
5: Michael Froman, thank you. Uh, by the way, the Peter Thiel book, uh, Zero to One. Zero to One. Same. of the book.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, the shocking rise in anti-Semitism. Jonathan Greenblatt, Anti-Defamation League CEO, is looking at college campuses and what academic leaders should do.
3: If you have a DEI program that doesn't include Jews, the most targeted religious minority, you're doing it wrong. That's the opposite of diversity.
0: This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
5: A new survey by the Anti-Defamation League finding that anti-Semitism is still on the rise in America results show that nearly one in four Americans are prone to believe in anti-Jewish conspiracy theories. It's the highest level in more than three decades and up from 20% two years ago. The survey also showed that more than 42% of Americans either have friends or family who dislike Jews or find it socially unacceptable for a close family member to support Hamas. For more on the findings, I want to bring in Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO, National Director of the De- Anti-Defamation League. Surprised by these
3: results? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. I mean, we have watched at ADL this trend line move in the wrong direction for the last five-plus years. And to think in 2019, it was just 11% of Americans who had extensive, you know, intense anti-Semitic attitudes. So to see that more than double in just five years is shocking. But look, this is playing out on our college campuses. This right. is playing out in public spaces. So it's not entirely a surprise. These uh, polls were taken when? Uh, in the first half of January. Okay. So this is, you know, ADL's been studying anti Semitic attitudes since the 1960s. And we run these sort of like sentiment analyses every two to three years to gauge in baseline where public right. attitudes are. How
5: connected do you believe that these results are? to what's happened in Israel and uh, to the response that Israel has had to the attacks?
3: Well, look, it's a good question. I think in 2016, things started to change when extremists started to feel like they had permission to express anti-Semitic attitudes. And then since the October 7th massacre, like the sewers, the, the lids have been blown off the sewers by the anti-Zionists. So keep well, so I don't, want to, I don't want to conflate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, but uh, they, yeah, they're uh, the they, same. They, it's, they're, they're two hues of the same color. Okay. But here's what but I But some would, people... Well, okay. Continue on. I mean, here's what I would tell you. In 2022, Right? When Israel had a coalition government with Arabs and Jews in the government, Muslims and Jews working together, we had the most number of anti-Semitic incidents
7: we ever tracked in America.
3: So this idea that Israel causes anti-Semitism
7: is wrong. Andrew, I mentioned the the piece in the journal today. Interesting. Last uh, last two sentences. Progressives claim that being anti-Israel or anti-Zionist isn't the same thing as being anti-Semitic. Tuesday uh, Tuesdays at Berkeley shows how dishonest that claim is that that's, that's a, and, and if you don't know what happened Berkeley, and my point is okay we learn nothing from Harvard we learn nothing from what what we've seen at all these Ivy League campuses Berkeley what is Berkeley known for the most progressive campus in the country nothing is worth, they don't suspend these students that show up and spit on these these kids and and make these kids think that they may not walk out of there alive that they, they don't even suspend look, the them. Nothing of, has changed John. The Jonathan. lack
3: of leadership at these college campuses is a catastrophe.
7: And nothing's changed, you've made no progress.
3: Have you? Well, I would like not, I mean look we are pressing title six cases against many of these institutions right we're going to hold them accountable we've been working with uh... the education committee in the house to put them in front, and we saw what happened at Harvard and at Penn, so they're being held accountable. And, and I'm, I'm told that applications are dramatically down at Harvard. And you saw the Jeff Sonnenfeld story in the Journal right. last week. I mean, this, was two, how a this, this was this week. I know. I mean, this was Sunday night. And so, for the viewers who don't know, two Jewish women were assaulted by a throng of Hamas protesters. Right, right. And look, something is profoundly wrong when the university thinks it's normal for people to converge on the campus with their faces totally covered by scarves. They said they're right? helpless. They're, the
7: administrators say there's helpless nothing windows. they can do about it. Well, they're here's perfect. what
3: you can do. Number one, number one, enforce the law. You break windows, you assault people, you should be arrested. Number two, ban masks on college campuses. I'm not talking about a COVID protection. I'm talking about someone who's there and screaming about the intifada, then assaulting people. How does anyone think that's normal? And then number three, I think the thing we also need to talk about is we need to overhaul, and I've talked about the, I've talked about it in the show before, we need to overhaul DEI. Because the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion that perpetuates the exclusion of Jews is just wrong. And I believe in diversity education. I think it is important, but it's got to be done differently. Okay, so it's how would you do it? Better. How do we do diversity education yeah. differently? I think you know most of these programs, we've studied them. And
5: are you talking about DEI programs inside universities? You're talking about DEI programs inside businesses? Corporations, corporations inside. Okay. et cetera. Okay, like so this is
3: why we launched our workforce pledge at ADL. 250 plus companies have joined. If you have a DEI program that doesn't include Jews, the most targeted religious minority, you're doing it wrong. That's the opposite of diversity. So that's got to change. So we think that companies need to either adapt And rethink the way they're doing this all together, that's
7: overdue to happen in all these places. What should Netanyahu do at this point? What should Bibi do? Yeah, and what should Biden be doing? He's already under some pressure, but Hamas is. is. Hamas is not, it's nowhere close to taking care of at this point. Look,
3: number one, the hostages need to come home yesterday right? That's the thing that I know I'm focused on. It's why I wear the ribbon. It's why I wear my dog tag. They've got to come home. Beyond that, like, I'm not a military
7: strategist. I'm focused on fighting hate here in America. But I don't think that the political will is going to be there for them to do what they need to do because of exactly what you're, you're talking about. I right mean, now. it is it is alarming to see how the t- the sand seems to be shifting. and You predicted it. When you, you said that there's no way public opinion is going to hold up to do what is not to, to, to yeah. eradicate Hamas, Hamas.
3: is a genocidal organization that prioritizes killing Jews. It should be unacceptable yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So whatever the future government in Gaza might be, right. it can't Okay, but So what do you think about Hamas, what happened in Michigan? Meaning the, the people voting on the I don't know. Yeah. I, I, like, I'm old enough to remember, when you're upset about policies that a government was doing or that your political party was doing, you actually got involved. You didn't pull back. You said, I want a seat at the table, and I'm going to earn it, and then demand. I think what's happening is think ridiculous. That would... so you don't and how's that... that going to help like, economic opportunity for the people of Michigan? How's that going to help make that state better? How's that
6: going to help mean, Democrat the Democratic Party vote, win? The people who just voted. I
3: think the people, these people voting uncommitted, I think yeah. it's pathetic. And if they really want to make a difference, they should roll up their sleeves and get involved. I, 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 but you know what, Andrew. I hope they like what the what the other guy will do. I'm sure he'll listen to them, you know? I mean, it's like it's absurd.
7: The the, the institutional um he said it's taken years for this to happen. The the, the academic makeup of yeah. of these colleges is not hasn't changed one iota. What do you mean the academic makeup? The uh, people that have been hired and have tenure that are where a lot of these ideas are being sown and and put for, I don't think these Students are they coming up with all this on their own? This is not being taught. And 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 how do you slowly look, weed rot. out? How do you weed out what we're seeing on all our, of our best not just co- being taught college, college, college campuses.
6: campuses? You look at TikTok. You look at any of
7: these.
3: Yeah, I mean, places. social media is we've talked about it's a super right. spreader of hate. Yeah. But the cultural rot at these institutions, you know, you need to go in there and remediate it right. one by it's not one. Not going to happen. Yeah, how are you going to do this? Let me ask you a different yeah. question. You just said, uh, what's the other
5: guy going to do? Yeah, There is a view the other guy, who's former President Trump, yeah. is more, look, some people say he's more pro-Israel, and then there's other people who would say that he has said things that are anti-Semitic himself. What do you think?
3: Well, look, President Trump has a closer relationship to the Jewish people than any president in history, because he has Jewish grandchildren in the West Wing. And he clearly has a set of views. I don't agree with everything that he's done or did. But look at the Abraham Accords; that was unquestionable. Right. So, good. for your for your
5: purposes, when you said, "Well, what the other got? What's the other guy going to do?" Well, I think for these your purposes, folks,
3: where, where do where do you land on that? That's a very look, interesting question. We're a tax exempt, apolitical organization, but we're doing our big conference next week, and we're hosting Jared Kushner at the AEDL's Never Is Now conference, along with Albert Borla and Julie Sweet and Mark Rowan. And why are we hosting them? Because the Abraham Accords, whether or not you like what the Trump administration did, were unquestionably good. And we need to be bipartisan. Here's what I would say, Andrew. More than ever, our Jewish community and really the country needs to find ways to come together. If you only see the world tinged through your lens of red or blue, you're seeing things wrong. And like, Joe, I mean, I got to tell you, I know you have a lot of strong feelings about this. Mm -hmm. But if this country doesn't come together, you know, divided we fall. I mean, I don't understand why this is so
7: hard. The the, the side I'm representing isn't responsible for the division. Um, And and to hear Hunter trashing Jared, did you hear that yesterday? I said, well, what about, that, that was his defense for his escapades Look,
3: i can't speak to, i don't want to talk about hunter biden but what i will well, tell you is this um, there is good and bad on both sides and you got to listen to people i'm well, glad said that at least he's got
7: grandchildren and living in the white house so you know I, you said it a bunch of times charlottesville yeah. or whatever i mean let's let's be live in the real world shall we his, his daughter i mean it's jewish kids jewish grandkids jonathan
5: greenblatt thank you very very much Thank you guys
0: That's Squawk Pod for today. I'm Katie Kramer, and I'm so grateful to you for being here. I'd also be grateful if you'd be so kind to rate or review this podcast. More ratings, more feedback, especially on Apple Podcasts, really helps other listeners find us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And podcast listeners, we'll meet you right back here tomorrow.
1: We are clear. Thanks, guys.
8: From their innovative practice facility